It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to another episode of Texas Sports Nation. I'm Jonathan Alexander here with Brooks Cabina. And um, do I need to... You know, tell the result again because we know what happened. Uh, Texans, <laughs> Texans lost another game. They're one twelve and one. Uh, this time to the Kansas City Chiefs, thirty to twenty four in overtime, and it was a little bit of a different game, kind of similar to the Cowboys in the fact that the Texans had a lead heading into the fourth quarter. And um, get this: the Texans, when they've had a lead entering the fourth quarter, they've been outscored in the fourth quarter, sixty six to three. It's nuts. I can't. I couldn't believe it when I saw that stat. Whenever you pulled that up, wild. It's crazy. It's Wasn't crazy. it fifty eight to nothing before then? I mean, I, I could do math. Yes, it was fifty eight to nothing, and then the <laughs> Chiefs outscored the Texans eight to three in the fourth quarter. So uh, maybe a little bit of progress, but not really. Oh man, <laughs> this is just a bad team. Um, I mean, they played well, hey. and and they didn't have their best players. You know, Damian Pierce and Brandon Cooks and Nico Collins, I give them that. But they're just a bad team that doesn't know how to finish games. And I know one thing, it's not going to be solved this year. What do you think? Well, it's just creative. I, I, I can't think to the last time. I believe it was 2007, and I should have looked this up before we started recording because I just didn't know my train of thought would reach here. This is so creative the way they're losing. I'm, I'm thinking back to, I think, whenever the Texans went, it was one of those eight and eight years in the early Kubiak years. I think it was a six and ten, maybe. But like there were there were times like I'm just thinking of David Garrard chucking a half, a midfield hail mary, Glover Quinn coming at batting it down straight into the arms <laughs> of the Jaguars receiver and him scoring the touchdown to win, and the halfback pass against the Jaguars that goes for an interception. And I believe that same year Matt Schaub threw an interception to the Raiders, who only had ten defenders in the end zone. Like those, that was the kind of team that would lose like this one. And this one's usurping that one in terms of how creative they can get to lose. And mm-hmm. I mean, this one, it, it is interesting. They lose more starters. They lose Damian Pierce, who was their best offensive player all year, hands hands down. And and yet there they were with a chance to win. And I, I really wonder if we're sitting here talking about Davis Mills differently if he leaves the Texans down on a game-winning drive in overtime, but instead turns the ball over, coughs it up on the first play of overtime, turns the ball over, and we're looking at the same kind of conversation we had had about Mills all season is someone that is ebbing and flowing and mostly turning the ball over. So, no, at this point, like you said, 
this ain't going to get solved this season, and no one yet has stepped up to show that they can be the difference maker. Yeah, and I, I do think we probably have a little bit of a different conversation about Davis Mills if he doesn't turn the ball over to that situation, but he also yeah. has to take them downfield. And I don't know that he does it. Um, I, I think they still – I think the Texans were still trying to be conservative. You know what I really think would have happened if Davis Mills hadn't inter- had fumbled the ball? I really think they would have. Um, the Texans would have played for a tie. Now, would the game have no, ended man. in a tie? I don't, <laughs> would the game have ended in a tie? I don't. I don't think so. But I think Lovey would have been good punting the ball at the fifty-yard line uh, on fourth and one. Well, uh, <laughs> that's just what I think. That would have been interesting. That would have been a whole story to see where they would end up. Going at uh, fourth and one at the 50, because that's exactly what happened against the mm-hmm. Colts. But, I mean, those were the two things, right? We were talking to Levy Smith after the game about this. The fourth and one in the first half, whenever they decided to punt. And then in over right before overtime, they had eight seconds left, and uh, he sent Mills out to kneel. Um, both of those decisions were not really the choice or the decision of someone who's being aggressive with a team that has nothing to lose. But also, it's not just about gambling. Those calls made sense when you look at metrics. There are a couple of analytics sites that track games in lifetime. I mean, the, let's just break down the first decision. Mm-hmm. And to even before we get into this, why this is important. When you're looking at these back half of these games, these last three, you're evaluating head coaches, their decisions, the players, their decisions to try and decide whether they're fit for the job whenever there is actually widespread talent on the team. So. We did this last year when we looked at Cully and some of the gaps he made in his in-game decisions. We're starting to get a, a glimpse more at what Levy Smith does when he's making calls from his gut decisions. And in this one, the Texans had a chance to win several times, and Levy Smith in decisions could have given them more confidence, especially in an offense that was suddenly efficient. So going back to that situation, it's fourth and one, about four minutes left before the half. The Texans have a 14-7 lead. They rarely ever have a lead in the first half at all. And they have the momentum. It's fourth and one. And they decide to punt, which they pin the Chiefs within their own five. But Mm -hmm. the Chiefs average the most yards per drive in the NFL. They have Patrick Mahomes, the MVP uh, from 2018, a Super Bowl champion quarterback. I mean, whenever you think about giving Tom Brady time, this is the guy now. This is Patrick Mahomes, the guy you don't want to have the ball in his hands. Since 2018, I think the stat was, someone sent it to me, that uh, no team other than the Chiefs has had more 90-yard touchdown drives. It's not even close to any other team. So the metrics were saying that didn't make much sense. And gain a yard? Texans were doing that. I mean, when you saw that, Jonathan, what was your – did you have any other different feeling about that and why? Yeah, at the time, I was like – the way the flow of the game was going, the defense, I thought, was playing – pretty well um so you know i could understand from his perspective but after you know they've given up a 98 yard game winning drive the week before you're right it's not like they were dealing with no context you're right and i agree and after further thought you know i changed my mind like yeah patrick mahomes just start carving them up and it really didn't matter uh whether it was a 50 yard uh play downfield or or 98 they were going to score regardless so um you know, I, I just given the fact, I agree. Like they're a losing team. What else do they have to lose? Um, you know, if you do a read a regular read option play, not with Davis Mills out there, um, you know, with Royce Freeman or somebody out there, 
uh, and Jeff Driscoll, you, you can get that one yard. He's he's big enough as long as he didn't run backwards. You know, like yeah. I, I I think I think they had a tendency to lose yards when they were doing stupid stuff like putting in Davis Mills when everybody know nobody was going. You know, putting him in as as a wide receiver and everybody knew that yeah. nobody was going to him or having some type of misdirection or or fake and you run the risk of of the opposing team getting in the backfield. If you just kind of go straight ahead or, or you allow Driscoll to kind of read the blocker and make the decision, keep it or put it in the hands of the running back, then I think you have much more of a chance of getting that first down with somebody like Driscoll. So I don't know. I just thought, you know, in in hindsight, it was, it was a bad decision, but it was a lot of bad decisions, you know, just like the decision later on in the fourth quarter when they were moving the ball. Royce Freeman was running it really well. They had first and goal and first and goal at the nine yard line with about six minutes left down by three, have a chance to go up with a touchdown. It looked like they were just moving with ease. And then they decided to put in Jeff Driscoll when it wasn't working on first and first and goal from the nine, which, you know, to me went away from how they had been utilizing Driscoll. And obviously they lost a couple yards. Um, and that drive ended up stalling because it put them at for, at second and 11 after that. So yeah. it was just a lot of bad, you know, decisions, um, you know, from the Texas part. But that's that's been, that's what's been happening all year, though. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, so the couple of things you hit on here. Okay. So on fourth and one, let's unpack this for a second. The Texans, we've talked about this in games past. I can think of the Colts game or others where they throw in Rex Burkhead or someone else, or they weren't able to manufacture a fourth and one. Across the season, on fourth and one or as many as three, the Texans averaged 2.7 yards per rush. Um, Sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. But when you look at Pep Hamilton this week, I thought what was interesting is we wondered how he would expand that tool dual quarterback system between Davis Mills and Jeff Driscoll. And you mentioned how they were in at the same time on the previous play. It was third and two, and they had Jeff, Jeff Driscoll and in the shotgun. Davis Mills came in on a motion, and it looked like he ran his own read with him. That was the only time any uh, of the two quarterbacks even interacted with each other in a play like that. So to implement that, there didn't really seem to be much benefit for having them both in the game. They, they they ran the ball six times out of that formation, only got four yards, I believe. And on the first two drives of the game, the longest play was an 11-yard pass on the very first one. So they punted twice to start the two drives. But I thought Pep Hamilton did a good job of adapting to what he had and ditching it. And as the game got went on, it became pretty clear that Davis Mills alone at quarterback was dealing. I mean, they averaged 7.4 yards per play when Mills was in the game. When Jeff Driscoll was in, um, it was not very good at all. You mentioned a couple of plays there. He still felt like there was a chance to manufacture some of that yards. And I just looked up the Driscoll stat. So when they had Driscoll quarterback packages, they just gained six yards on 10 plays when it was only Driscoll in the game. So it was clear (laughs) that Davis Mills was much better alone on the offense. So when you mention those two goal line situations, this is the second half after it was established. After Mills threw two touchdown passes and ran for a 17-yard touchdown. Once they got into goal line situations, you mentioned that. At the nine, put in Driscoll. He, he scrambled, lost time, and they even had a full start. Mills was able to throw a third down touchdown, 12 yards to uh, Tegan Quateriano, eight yards, I believe it was. But that's not replicable. That's not something you should count on. So the second time 
within the next couple of drives, whenever they were back on the goal line at the 10, they sent Driscoll in again. And it was the same result. So like we were talking about before, when you look at how coaches are making decisions in game, in times where it can make or break or win or lose the game, we saw Lovey Smith make questionable calls. We saw Pep Hamilton make questionable calls. But like this isn't 30 to nothing in the first half. This isn't 20 to nothing in the first half. But you were talking about this last week, Jonathan, I want to ask you, these two games and the body of work of the season, is it still projecting for an overhauled staff? Where, where do you feel on this? I think if you know they lose their remaining three games, even if they're close, then yeah, I do think so. I don't think there's any way they can finish one. What is it? Would it be 16 and one or 115 and one? Yeah, 115 and one. I don't think there's any way they can do that and then keep their jobs. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the fans, many of the fans have seen that have lost confidence in, in what's happening. And, you know, it's really, it is, you know, as much as, you know, Levy Smith says that things are working, it is kind of hard to see, you know, the vision of where, um, you know, he's trying to take this thing. On the flip side, you know, if he gets a great quarterback and a great defensive player, uh, within those first um, 12 or so picks, you know, it seems like the Texans are going to have the number one pick, you know, then maybe things change. Um, but just a lot of the decision-making and, and, and the conservative approach, in my opinion, because obviously Lovey Smith does not agree with that assessment that he's been conservative. Uh, in my opinion, I, I, I think that doesn't go well with how, you know, the league has been, this has been a more of an offensive league and, and the more successful teams are the teams that take a little bit more chances, not super uh, aggressive all the time, but, you know, look at teams like Kansas city, look at teams like Los Angeles, Jacksonville is a little aggressive too. You know, these teams are, are finding success nowadays. And yeah, so it's, it's just hard for me to, to see, you know, them finish one fifteen and one and then say, yeah, you know, they're going to keep the staff. I, I think they'd have a hard time telling that fan base that. So uh, it, yeah. it, the last three games, I think, will be telling for sure. Yeah, and and, and for context, though, you mentioned how he was uh, not agreeing with how he was conservative. You asked him on Monday about that. You you asked him if he was going to – you, you asked him about how those calls were conservative and he rejected that. It kind of reminded me whenever y'all had that back and forth. Last year, whenever we were talking to David Culley about the same thing, and across the NFL, all the teams have their own analytic staff. They're all crunching the numbers. Whenever they're on the sideline, there is a communication that's going on in the headset. It dates back to Gary Kubiak. Gary Kubiak with the Texans, even with the Broncos, he'd have someone that was talking to him, telling him, all right, they'd even drill this on Saturdays. We wrote a story about this last year. Drill out all the in-game situations, run the numbers, feel how they are about this team. And I think a defensive-minded coach like Lovey Smith is always going to lean on his defense. When you think about the strength of the team all year, that's what it's been. And you mentioned that, um, this, this, this point about what if he gets a good quarterback, if he gets a good offense, if he gets something like that, if his tendency would later change. Because with David Culley, it's the same kind of thing. Do I have confidence that on fourth and goal that my offense is going to score? Do I have confidence on fourth and one, two, three, that they're going to convert? I, I on set on Sunday's game alone, I don't think of any other game except that one where you felt like, okay, roll the offense in there, and they're probably going to convert here. And it's weird because they didn't have Damian Pierce in it. But yeah. 
when he when he starts isolating games because that's what he did there too was talking about that game and that game it felt like the offense was something to lean on and the defense when they're giving up 6.4 yards per play with Mahomes who you know he missed on two deep balls Harrison Butker missed a game winning potential game winning field goal and a point after mm-hmm. they fumbled twice that's a lot of mistakes that should give you the feeling to take your extra possessions and chances with with the offense that that feels like that's part of the philosophy but yeah. I don't know man like uh, if if they get in those situations again I I'm not really confident that Lovey has yet changed his mind on that and I think that's kind of the sometimes the question about defensive minded coaches if they lean more on their defenses uh, like an offensive guy might lean on his quarterback yeah. And but even when Damian Pierce was out there, he wasn't going for those situations, or he wasn't putting Damian Pierce out there in those fourth yeah, and short games. Yeah, Later, yeah, a little bit more. But he, even then, I still think he had a little bit more of a conservative approach. But you know, you make a good point. Like, okay, does anybody think that if the Chiefs were at the fifty yard line in that same situation, that they would punt it in that situation in the fourth and one? You know, we we know that the Chargers when they were in that uh, fourth and short situation. And from the 45, they certainly weren't going to punt it. Yeah. And they yeah. went for it. So Brandon Staley, their head coach, definitely all in on the analytics. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure it does have some part of it has to do with who your quarterback is. And, and you know, the Texans definitely, even though Davis Mills is playing better, I don't think that they have all the confidence in the world in Davis Mills. Um, so, you know, you know, that's a, that's a good point. Um, you know, would a different quarterback change Lovey Smith's approach? I don't know. Um, you know, that'd be interesting to see. So there's there's that other part of this, right, with the the numbers. And, I'm, and you see a lot of coaches going with it. This is not old. This is not – This is. I mean, this isn't a new thing. I mean, people have been looking at numbers for a long time, uh, at least in the last 10 years. And whenever, it, whenever those models – I don't know what the Texans – calculations specifically are but it generally takes the entirety of the nfl and gives that basically an average what is the median what is the what is what typically happens in this the texans at 112 and one or at least 111 and one in that situation would probably be the team that trots out there and brings the number down right (laughs) like if you're the chiefs and you're in that situation, and say it happened in 2017, right? Or mm-hmm. 20, let's say it's 2018, the Chiefs were in a fourth and one at the 50, and they went for it, and they got it. Like, that's a team that would have the offense to do it. How many times is it a, I mean, I'm just speaking plainly, a bad team, the one that's in that situation? I wonder if it's weighted. I would really like to know if, like, the team, if some of those numbers have win percentage weighted uh, numbers attached to them because I wonder if that would then give coaches more pause, more confidence, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I I don't have the capacity right now to go into my Excel document and go through the past ten years and find every one of those myself. Maybe that'll be a project for the off season, but uh, I don't know. I I think the Texans probably, like you were saying, if that would be one way to doubt the numbers is wondering if you're the one that's going to bring that number down. Yeah, for sure. Let me ask you this. Cause I, you know, some, since we last had our last podcast, some big news did happen. 
Um, kind of expected news, but uh, you know, Damian Pierce is out for the season, placed on yeah. I- IR. Um, Derek Stingley as well was placed on IR. That was a little bit more unexpected because we were kind of unsure with the hamstring injury that he had hadn't played in the past three or four games. Um, you see, Jalen Petrie have a, a good game. King, um, you know, good good resurgence last few games. Kenyon Green has been up and down. He didn't play last game injury. How you look at, you know, Christian Harris has played. How would you look at, what, was, what would be your overall assessment? And we'll keep this brief, but what would be your overall assessment of this rookie class? Was it a success? Was it a failure? Or was it was a little bit in between? Well, it's definitely in between. Um, and it's tough to say with all the injuries that happened, especially with their number three overall pick and Derek Stingley. Um, through 10 games, it, it wasn't a, a, a type of season where you're looking at it and you're like, wow, he's already like his true freshman year at LSU where he's an All-American and they win the national championship. Like that's that wasn't expected. This is a defense that still has to learn itself. Stingley himself grew himself through the 10 years. I mean, 10, 10 games. So there's still some questions about him. Uh, but overall, the, the offense needed a running back. And they've got one. So that's a ma- that's an A. And they got it in the fourth round. So so having Damian Pierce, that that drags that number up. Jalen Petrie's been playing really well. Uh, well, playing well in the last couple of games. Um, overall, it's definitely in the middle. I think the, you start wondering about who are the long-term starters? Tegan Quateriano has come on lately as a late-round draft pick. Thomas Booker has rotated in. Um, Quateriano's two touchdown receptions. He's turned into someone who might be a rotational tight end in, in his draft slot. That's the kind of guy that becomes a foundational player. Not like an exceptional player, but that's the kind of person that you'd see around and say, okay, whenever they are uh, making deep runs or making playoff runs, you know, are those guys part of the equation? Christian Harris definitely need to see um, more improvement from him in a full season. Um, the defense against the run has been much better, um, but the one dragging this down, and it's 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 part of the offense. Kenyon Green, he missed most of the training camp because of a concussion. He was struggling for most of the season. Um, he he needs a full off season. He needs. To go into the program, get get stronger, get more acquainted with the playbook, whatever offense that they might be running. I mean, Titus Howard flipped a left guard uh, while he was injured, and that the interior was much more solid against the Chiefs. Um, that needs to be better next year. And Green picked at number fifteen overall is expected to provide that. So, um, you know, that's 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 why this is really in the middle right now. Yeah. Um, and if if that doesn't work out, if one of your those are the Deshaun Watson draft picks. Those are the three first rounders you're getting from the Browns. If if they don't hit two out of three of those, you know, that's that's those are first round picks, man. So yeah. uh, we'll see how he plays next year. Um, I, he, Lovey Smith did say that he's expected to have him back by the end of the year. Um, so we'll see if he comes back in and plays uh, to the level that um, he's progressing. Yeah, I think if you hit if you hit on three of your draft picks, then that's considered a really successful draft. I think two is just kind of like, okay, we got away with it. We got to do better next year. You know, I look at if I had a grade, you know, this Texans draft, A through F, I'd probably give it a C plus right now. And for this reason, I think the, just the injuries would be concerning to me. You know, Derek Stingley, 
kind of came, uh, you know, to Texas, was drafted to Texas with injury concerns, and then he ended the season, even though it was a soft tissue issue. Unfortunately, it's not, you know, anything, you know, too bad and something that he can easily recover from. Um, you know, I'd like to see a little bit more, uh, you know, availability there. Um, obviously, Damian Pierce, you, know, you would, he's been spectacular. You, but you would hope that the Texans don't run him to the ground. Run, injuries for running backs are inevitable. They happen. I don't know any running back that's, that's been used at the rate that he is used and hasn't gotten injured. But hopefully Texans don't run him into the ground. But he was a, a major hit. I think, um, you know, Jalen Petrie is really becoming a hit. He For him to struggle the way he did kind of midway through the season and kind of come on late after switching positions, I think it's, uh, you know, says a lot about him. The guy who's probably not going to be rattled a lot. And I think that they're starting to hit on him. Christian Harris, I think the jury's still open on him. You know, like we said, you got to see a little bit more from him. Um, you know, him being injured in early in the year. And King Green, I think he, like you said, he's the one kind of weighing this down. Um, he really struggled there towards the end of the season. Um, and, you know, he wasn't healthy early in training camp. And he's got to stay healthy. He's dealing with the ankle injury now. Um so I think, and, and you invest so much in him, you invested a first round pick in him. What was that, 15th or 16th pick? 15th. Yeah, 15th pick. He's got to be, he's got to be great. These, those first 16 picks. So we're in agreement. Are, yeah, those first 16 picks are the guys who are, who are great, who are potential, pro, who are Pro Bowl caliber players. Those 16 picks are, are, are where, before the drop off happens. So Kenyon Green has to be a lot better. He has to be great. He has to improve. But I do think the class has the potential to get better because I do see some positives in guys like Kenyon Grant and Christian Harris. And I do think that this draft cast can shape up to be really well. But it, they're gonna, these guys are going to have to continue to develop and they're going to really need to stay healthy. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, they've got plenty of draft picks again going into next year. Big budget. We'll see what, what happens. Thanks for listening to us as always. Uh, for more of our content, please read us at HoustonChronicle.com slash sports. And please subscribe and check back with us next week for another episode. Until next week.